So Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17, we enter into a new section. Uh, I told you, um, we're going to call that the Sermon on the Plain. Some scholars have argued whether this is just the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Luke's, uh, Luke's version of it. Uh, and so a, a lot of times if I'm going to give you opinion, I'm going to tell you, hey, here's my opinion. Uh, because uh, honestly, my opinion or your opinion doesn't change the fact that we have the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus here. Um, just like Jesus fed 5,000 on a, on a different occasion, he fed 4,000. I believe this is another time of his teaching, just me personally. Uh, there's content here that we have from Luke that is not found in any of the other um, synoptics, uh, like the woes that we're going to talk about um, this morning. And so here's, here's my, just my two cents. If you're wondering as you read through the Gospels with us in our Bible reading plan, um, I, I believe this is a different time of teaching, and Jesus isn't a scripted preacher. He, he's not somebody that travels around with notes. And when you're not a scripted preacher, you teach on the same topics, and, and oftentimes, depending on your audience, each audience, there's, a, there's kind of a unique twist. If you've ever shown up here for both services, um, you know that we say that they're identical and they're not identical. <laughs> Nobody ever gets the same exact message or, or they walk away with the same thought. And so um, it's just my two cents. And so um, when, we, when we study this, um, what we do need to be mindful of, though, regardless of your opinion, whether or not this is just a Sermon on the Mount again or if this is a different Sermon on the Plain, these are the words of our Savior. So, so I, I know that a lot of you like the A, Bs, and Cs, the, hey, tell it to me, tell me what to do of, of the epistles. You know, Paul just is like, do this and don't do that. And we, we tend to really like that. You can't forget that those things come from the heart of Jesus, our Savior, who's the greatest teacher to ever live. And so when we read these words, if that doesn't add extra weight, then I, I don't know what would. And, and so these are the words of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Messiah. And so we're going to read these, and I want you to just understand who they're coming from and, and, and their intent, and they are for us. And so uh, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17, it says, he, he went down with them, and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him. We just sang that a second ago. Because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, And when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Luke is the only author to include, along with these Beatitudes, kind of the reverse side, the woes. And, and, and they sit pretty heavy. So I, I just want to, out of, out of this, I just, I'm going to share three things with you. Now, when we walked through the Sermon on the Mount, we, we took the Beatitudes. I spent one week on each Beatitude. It seemed like it, it, we were there for a long time. Uh, we're, this is more of a, a macro overview 
uh, this morning. And so just some, some big things that this section of Scripture would teach us. And here's the first thing that would stick out to the original audience is just this, that God's ways are vastly different from the world's. God's ways are, are, are vastly different from the world's. And, and so Luke, remember, is writing the story of rescue and the story of redemption. And so that's what his gospel is. And he begins uh, early on in, in Luke 1, and, and, and he, he tells us the story of the angel of the Lord appearing to Zechariah, the priest. And, and, and he says, listen, you're going to have a son, and his name is going to be John, and he's going to be great among men. And he's going to come, um, he's going to go before the Lord and prepare the way in the spirit of Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And so Luke is telling that story because it immediately links his story with the last prophecy that is spoken in the book of Malachi. But before the the intertestamental period, the 400 years of silence where God doesn't speak to prophets anymore, God God speaks in Malachi and the last thing he says is, one is coming to prepare the way for the Lord, the one for for the rescuer. Remember, the Bible is about God's rescue of mankind. And, and, and so God's story of rescue and redemption, it's being told, it stops in Malachi with, with one will come in the spirit of Elijah and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers, right? And he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to come out of the desert and that's how it ends in Malachi. And then when God starts speaking again in, in Luke chapter 1, the angel of the Lord is appearing to, to Zechariah and he says, listen, you're going to have a son, his name's going to be John, and he's the one I was talking about back in Malachi. Now why does Luke, he's the only one that gives us these details, why? Because he's linking his story with the greater story of redemption. He's like, here is the story of redemption. This is why the Bible is written and Jesus is the redeemer. So, so Jesus is the rescue plan. This is, this is God's plan for humanity. This is how he's going to rescue you from sin and rescue you for death. And this story is going to be about Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the one who's come to establish God's kingdom. Now, listen, the Jews were very familiar with God's kingdom being established. It's what they were waiting for. They, they, they knew that the Messiah was coming. They knew that a rescue was coming. But here's the deal. Even though they've been waiting, even though they've been praying, they have a really big problem because this kingdom is vastly different from the one they were thinking was coming. This Savior is so different from what they thought was coming that they're going to to miss him, in fact. He's even different from what the disciples thought he would be. Yeah, we want to follow you. And then he starts talking about death, and they're like, whoa, wait a second. Have we we spent three years following the wrong guy? What's, What's going on? Peter's, no way. I'll, I'll die first. I, there's, no, there's no human understanding about the ways of God. They, they, they can't grasp it. Some would call this kingdom of God like, like backwards or, or upside down, right? And, and this kingdom, the, the last are going to be first. And, 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 the, and the poor are going to be rich. And the hungry, well, they're going to be well fed. And according to Luke, he says even the opposite is true. Those that are rich now are going to be poor. And those that are well-fed now are going to be hungry. And those that laugh now are, are actually going to weep and mourn. And, 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 and so we, we start to walk through this. And, and, and we talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? These things aren't necessarily physical as much as they are spiritual realities. See, guys, this is a kingdom that's completely different from what we, we thought, from what we could think or imagine. This is a kingdom built upon grace, which is a concept that we don't naturally understand. This is the parable of, of the vineyard and the workers, right? Where the last people get the same wage as those that work all day. And, and so, so this, is a, this is a kingdom, this kingdom of God. It, it doesn't make sense to, to man. It, it, this kingdom is about the fact that God has come to save sinners. And, and that doesn't make sense because we've got all these righteous, well-dressed people that seem to know a lot about God. And yet, yet that's not actually who he's coming for. 
This is a kingdom about, about sinners that, that, that God calls to himself. And he's only going to call those that know that they need him. Not those that think that they know everything of him. And those that scoff at the work of this Savior that's calling sinners to himself, those that, that laugh at, at what he's doing now, they're, they're going to weep one day because they're going to realize they completely missed what God was doing. And there are no second chances here. You don't get to wake up one day and go, Oh, gosh, now I see the judgment. I'm on the wrong side. I'm going to jump the fence. They're going to spend an eternity weeping when they realize that they miss him in God's kingdom. Those that understand that they're spiritually bankrupt. Those that understand that they have a a deep need for God. They're going to be rich in their knowledge of it. They're going to be rich in his love. They're going to be rich in his mercy. They're going to be rich in his life. And in this kingdom, those that hunger, those that want God more than anything else in the world, get him. And they don't just get some of him. They get all of him. They get so much of God that their lives actually overflow with God in this kingdom. In this kingdom, those that hurt deeply over their faults and their failures. In this kingdom, those that weep and mourn over their sin, their tears are turned to joy because the Savior calls them to himself. He calls them alongside of himself and he encourages, he reminds them. They're brokenhearted over what they have done and he calls them to his side and he reminds them of what he has done for their sake. And their weeping is turned to joy and to laughter at a wonderful celebration, not of what they have done, but what God has done for them. And it's the greatest party they'll ever be in this kingdom. And this is what I just say to you. Can we just be honest? This is not how we would do it, right? This doesn't make sense to us. Like, we're not graceful people. We, we don't hand out blessings to people that, that, that don't work. I mean, we're mad at welfare systems. We're, we're angry that people don't work as hard as we do. We, we have no concept of grace. And, and so when God establishes his kingdom and he's like, listen, because we like to sit on this side of the New Testament and think that we get Jesus. And I'd say on this side of the New Testament, we might actually be further from him than we think. Because this this concept of grace is still foreign to us today. It flies in the face of everything that our world says is important. And friends, that is the point for all that are fed up with this world. For, For all who are weary of its ways, there is another way. There is a better way. There's another kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And its ways are vastly different than the ways of this world. So I would just say to you, listen, I, 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 I grew up in this world too, you know. I, I, I know all of its rules and all of its inner workings. Don't apply those things to the kingdom of God. <laughs> you will cause great damage to the kingdom of God. Great damage to yourself. Great damage to others. There's enough hurt and heartache in our world. I don't think we need to pile on. 
So I just say, if, if, you're, if, you're hurt, if you're weary of this world, if anybody else is, maybe it's just me, then just know there's a whole other world. There's a whole other kingdom. It's the kingdom of God, and, and, and it's worth it. Here's the second point, again, just according to our text as we walk through it. Uh-huh. This coming kingdom, uh, all these blessings and woes, this coming kingdom is, is worth the cost and the weight. The point of the Beatitudes is that there is suffering now, but there's celebration later. There's hurt and heartache now, but there's joy and comfort later. There's, there's, there's poor now, but there's fulfillment later. It's a point. If you miss the point, you miss it. And Jesus' underlying point in the sermon is that it's worth it. That what is coming is worth what you have to endure now. That's kind of the heart of the message. And so this passage is just about two kingdoms. That's it. It is about the kingdom that we can build here on earth for ourselves. We call that our life. Or it's about the kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating here in the text. You know, the one that he was born to establish. The kingdom of God that the Jews long waited for. And, 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 and it's here. And yet it's not yet fulfilled. It's already begun. You're, you're a member of the kingdom, by the way, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. You're, we're in the kingdom. But yet it doesn't feel that way. Because we're not living by the kingdom standards. So uh, this is about two kingdoms. It's about the one that is... Here, it's been inaugurated, it's not yet fulfilled, and it's about the kingdom that we keep trying to build, the kingdom for ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is, is, listen, guys, you get one or the other, but you can't have both. You get to live in one or the other, but you can't have, you, you can't have a vacation home in heaven. That's not how it works. You get to build one house in your life, one. And you either build it here in this world where the, the, shan, the, the sands are always shifting and, and shaking, where, where the Bible says all things will collapse, you either get to build it here or you get to build your one house in eternity. Those are your only two options. There are no vacation homes. There's just, there's just one option. So, so in order to receive the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is that you have to follow him. And to do that, you've got to stop following yourself. Instead of investing all of our time and energy and effort into building our kingdoms, we have to start living for for his. And this is basically the conversation that Jesus has with the rich young ruler. Do you guys remember that one? It's my least favorite conversation in all of the Bible. I lie to you not. It makes me more uncomfortable than any other text. Every time we do a Bible reading plan, I I, I cringe. I want to skim past it, but I'm like, huh, what leader is that? It just ignores the passage and, yeah, I read it. So let's do it. Let's be uncomfortable together because this is church. Matthew chapter 19, if you want to turn there. Um, Matthew chapter 19, because I like to share my uncomfortable moments with everyone. You guys that know me know that is so true. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. It says, now a man came up to Jesus and he asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? It's a really good question. Like, don't knock this guy. This guy's asking the right question. I think, I think we've kind of demonized the rich young ruler. He, he, he's, he's asking a very good question. Jesus says, why do you ask me about what's good? 
There's only one who is good. Like, like hear that. There's, we could preach that all day. Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Jesus is the only good thing there is. That's it. It's like, that, that, that's it. So, it, whew. oh, Lord Jesus, that's awesome. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Now, I'm going to question whether or not he's really kept these because he's really rich. I wonder if he's really loved his neighbor as himself because I think he would have less wealth if he had. But Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. This is when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. One of the saddest stories in the Bible, this, this man finds Jesus. He hears what he needs to do to follow Jesus. Jesus even makes him the offer, come follow me. And then the guy counts the cost. Now, now to, again, to his credit, he asked the right question. He counts the cost, which I don't think a lot of people do. But sadly, when he counted the cost, he, he estimated the cost would be too much. So he walks away and he chooses not to follow Jesus. And, and, and here's, here's my deal. I, I don't want to lie to you about it. I think a lot of pastors, I know if you turn on the TV, they do. A bunch of liars. I'm not saying everybody on TV. Like, there's some good ones. But I mean, and, and, and pastors too, all over the place. Just lie to people. Just, oh, you just need to accept Jesus and your life is going to be so much better. It's going to be so much easier. No, it'll probably be harder. Because it's not easy to follow Jesus. That is a lie. Someone tells you that if you follow Jesus, you're just going to be blessed. And by blessed, they mean house and home and car and marriage and kids. They are a liar. Because when you follow Jesus, it's not easy. And when you try to live by his word, it is not easy. Because the gospel is not that simple It's simple in its message. It is so hard for us sinners to live out. And so it's not easy. There is a high cost of following Jesus. You don't get to just add him to your, your, your perfect little life that you've built. You don't get to add Jesus to your kingdom. You have to become a part of his kingdom. That's, that's it. So to receive his life, the Bible says you have to lay yours down. That's a cost. And it's not a one-time moment. It's not like just on a Sunday morning, somebody can play just as I am and you can be all broken of your sin and have the little snot coming down and you run up to the aisle and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to follow. And then one time, you have to do that daily. Like every morning you've got to die to yourself. That's crucifixion. It's the worst death possible. It's, it's suffocating. That's what Jesus did. He hung on the cross and he suffocated to death. It wasn't the torture he endured. It, it wasn't the fact that there were nails through, through the bones in his wrists and in his feet. He didn't bleed to death. He suffocated. He suffocated. Every morning that is the call of the Christian. To wake up and to suffocate to the, to the rules and, and the ways of this world. To wake up and to choke them out. That's what it means to follow Christ. And we we have this backwards, messed up mentality. And we wonder why people don't see Jesus. Because we don't have the gospel. Because we don't love people like he loves people. Because we have this comfortable Christianity. It's a bunch of junk. And, And here's the heart of it. This is hard to do. The cost of following Christ is high. 
So at least the rich young ruler counted it for his sake. At least he wasn't a member of of the local Baptist church. Because he could have been. Listen to me. It is hard to be fair and to be loving in this world when everybody else is out. I mean, this is what I hear from Christians, but people just take advantage of me. Absolutely, they will. They took advantage of Christ. It is hard to be gracious and to love people without expecting anything in return. Absolutely, but Jesus did. It is hard to know that people are going to hurt you and betray you, but to love them anyway. That is hard, but friends, that's the call. Right? It's difficult to put yourself out there and say, listen, I'll be stepped on, I'll be hurt, I'll be mistreated, I will be the innocent victim. I'm going to love in spite of knowing that there is danger out there, knowing that my heart will hurt, knowing that, that, that I will be injured. Like, it's hard to be that willing, injured party, but that is the call of Christ. To love that way. And that is the only love, like we said, that's the only kind of redeeming love. What, what good is it to love somebody that's going to love you back? That's not love. That's not real love. That's doing something for your own benefit. When we love people that will hurt us in return, that's the kind of love that redeems a man. That's the kind of love that turns around a life. That's what Jesus, that's, that's why we're here. That's how Jesus loved us. That's the bar, friends. That's what it means to follow Christ. Nothing short of that. And here's the deal, though. This is the promise. I get it. Like, that's hard. Right? Can we just, anybody else in the room confess that being a Christian is the hardest thing they've ever done? I'm just going to be honest. Following Jesus, like, it's the hardest thing. But here's the promise. Anyone who leaves family or life or home for my sake, hundredfold. All, all that you would lay down for, for the king, Jesus, every person that you would love at, at, at the, at, at, and literally be hurt in, in that loving process, hundredfold blessing upon you in heaven. A hundredfold. Who's got a retirement account? Anybody? Come throw up a hand. I got a little retirement. It doesn't have to be a lot. In today's economy, who's rejoicing if they can get 10% return? On their account. Right? Like those days are gone. Like I'm praying for six. There is a place. That everything that you put in. That every ounce that you give. The return is not 6%. And the return is not 10%. The return is 100 times. What you can pour out. And Jesus says that is worth it. Every act of love will be worth it. Every act of obedience will be worth it. But the cost is high. But the cost is high. Last thing I'll share with you. Good golly, it can't already be 9.30. Just tell your Sunday school teachers I'm sorry. Tell them to come on in. We'll have Sunday school here. Still working on it. Number three. If you're too content with the present, you may not see the need to prepare for the future. If 
you read through the woes carefully, and you've got to read through them carefully, you're going to find a theme. And that theme is that the people are so satisfied with their lives that they see no need for God. Can I just say that one more time? The, the, the theme is that people are so satisfied with their lives that they, they see no need for God. That doesn't speak to you. I, I don't know what can in our day and our age. They are so self-sufficient. They're loving life. They're living and laughing it up. Which, by the way, Jesus is okay with laughter. Jesus was at parties. He, he, I, I think he was the life of the party. I, I always envisioned Jesus laughing and having a good time. So this isn't against being joyous. This is, this is about being self-sufficient. And the point that Jesus is making is there a time, there's a time that's coming very soon, very soon, when the kingdom that he inaugurated is going to come into its fulfillment. And friends, when that happens, all of our self-sufficiency is laid bare. I'm going to say that to you again. When Jesus returns and, and, and the kingdom of God is fulfilled, all of the stuff that you built will be laid bare. Okay? At that moment, anything that you built in this world is gone, okay? And only the stuff that you've built eternally remains. That's it. All, all of our self-sufficiency, all of the stuff, like, like if, if we're not careful, we, we could very easily be like the Jews that missed Jesus altogether. And, and, and so on that, on that day, um, there's just two groups of people. There's going to be those that are, are, are self-sufficient, those that stand before God and say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a good person. Look at all that I've done. You know the other pastor that scares the crowd out of me? It's the one of all the people that come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did we not drive out demons and prophesy in your name? Like they're putting a resume out there. Look at all the good that I've done. If, if you think that it's impossible for a religious person to think that they're good enough for Jesus, then you, you, don't, you, you miss it because all kinds of religious people think they're good enough for Jesus. Because all kinds of, like, we are, pro, we are self-sufficient people. And I know so many people that they, they spout a great Christianity, they talk it, but they don't live it. They, they say that God is everything and then they worry and stress to be the provider. I thought God was the provider. What are you freaking out about? See, it's got to be a gospel that invades us and changes us completely. And so, so, so two groups of people, one group will stand before Jesus and they're going to stand on their own account. They're going to stand before God and they're going to say, God, here's everything that I've done. Look at me, I'm a pretty good person. And God's going to show them what goodness really is. And it's going to break their hearts so much that for the rest of eternity they will weep. But then there'll be another group of people. And they will stand before God, not based upon their own self-sufficiency, but based on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone. They will stand not on their record, but they will stand on the account of Jesus It'll be his perfect record that they stand on. It'll be his work, not their own. And they're going to stand in confidence because they were wise in their life. Because they heard the words of Jesus and they put them into practice. Because they built their life not here in this world, but they built it in the kingdom of God upon the words of Christ. Unchanging. Unsettling. Upon the rock. Unshakable. So we have to do something because of the word that we hear. I'll give you application and let you go. My first challenge to you this morning would just simply be to hear the word. Uh, I love when I read through the Gospels and I hear Jesus. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Because <laughs> we're like, what do you mean? we all have ears. And he's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. And this is what I feel like as a parent, right? 
I mean, I'm like, oh, my children are like, do, do you hear me? Um, one of the first phrases my firstborn son said was, you hear me? We couldn't figure out what he was saying. We thought he was saying something about a hammy. We we're like, I don't, what is he talking about? And it was, it was me, as the father, I realized I was constantly saying, Cole, do you hear me? Do you hear me? Hey, do you hear me? For one of his first phrases, you hear me? I'm like, he who has ears, let him hear. You hear me? Jesus is going, do you hear me? Do you hear my words? You get, you get a choice, either build your life in this world or build it in my world. Like, like that's the choice, right? There's another kingdom, there's another way. You're, you're not going to regret ever loving somebody, ever. Like, like, hear that. Nobody on their deathbed ever says, oh, I wish I hadn't loved people enough. Like, like, I, 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 I wish I loved, hadn't loved them as much as I did. Yeah, it's always the opposite. Oh, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have spent more time with the lost. I wish I would have poured more of myself out. You're never going to have a regret about loving somebody, about storing up treasures in heaven ever. Don't fall into that trap of being self-sufficient and self-satisfied, right? I mean, these are the words we've heard this morning. So hear them. Really hear them. Second, I'd encourage you, count the cost. Count it right now. No more games. There's no, there's no middle road. You know what happens to, to animals that run in the middle of the road? Spat. Eventually they just stink. We're meant to be the aroma of Christ, not the aroma of roadkill. Right? So count the cost. Figure it out. What, what, what are you doing? And, and listen, I say that in love. This is, a, this, is a, this is what church is. It's a reminder. Oh, my gosh. I'm an idiot. Mm. That's what church is. Welcome. If you're looking for some places, you can go, you're doing it all right. There's lots of churches in town. I could name a few that will tell you what you want to hear. Count the cost. Daily suffocating to self. Daily. So it means to follow Jesus. Last one. Um, just choose. I love, I love the words of Joshua. Choose this day who you'll serve. Um, could we just... Yeah, James is here. He's not, he doesn't like my tattoo thing. Could we put a sign, you know, like somewhere we would see it every day, like on our skin or something? Um, or on a shirt that we wore every single day. How about that? One that was printed backwards, so when we looked in the mirror, we could actually read it. With these words, choose today whom you'll serve. Choose today where you'll build. Choose today whom you'll love. Either you or him. Just choose. Choose today. I'm going to share this last verse with you. You might want to write it down. It is a really, really good verse. Uh, in a challenging day like this. Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is the word of the Lord. I pray, um, I pray that it would uh, do work within your life this week. Um, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks in power. Uh, as we wrap up, Father, would you um, allow us to leave here changed because of who you are? We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.